our series on Paul's letter to the church at Rome, we move to the 13th chapter today, now the first seven verses, and I hope you'll find your uh, bulletin insert or turn in your ESV Bibles where we'll use this as a unison reading and read uh, the Word of God together. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now, I want you to hear these words and think about where they're found. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm sure most of you, if we were having a civics test today, could say those are words that are found in the Declaration of Independence. And we know that opening line. But do we know the words that follow? That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government. Now, this is not a U.S. history lesson, but my point is to emphasize the difference, the difference in what we've heard all of our lives as American people with what Paul teaches here in the beginning of Romans 13 when he writes, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Did you hear that? Those that exist have been 
instituted, begun, established by God. In other words, it's not we the people who have the authority. It's not we the people who give somehow consent to government. It's God Himself who institutes and gives authority. Now you may be thinking, well, if God institutes governing authorities, does that mean He's in control even when bad rulers are present? Yes, that's exactly what that means. We can look at Jeremiah 27 where God has His prophet Jeremiah come to King Zedekiah, the new king of Judah, a son of Josiah, at the beginning of his reign, and Jeremiah says to King Zedekiah on God's behalf, I have given all of these lands. He's talking about the land of Moab, the land of Ammon, those kinds of neighbors sort of of Israel. I've given all of these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. All the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Now, I don't know if you know much about King Nebuchadnezzar, but as Luther names him, he's a wicked idolater. And yet he's God's servant as king of Babylon, and we might as well say made successful by God. We can see the same truth in the fourth chapter of the book of Daniel when Daniel makes the following comment to King Nebuchadnezzar himself. He says, The Most High is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone He wishes and sets over them the lowliest of men. Now, I don't know if I'd been able to say that. To King Nebuchadnezzar sets over them the lowliest of men. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar took offense at that or not. But Daniel just laid the truth. He laid it out right in front of him. We can see in Daniel's comments as well as what Paul writes in our text that God is sovereign. He sets up kingdoms. He tears them down. There is no authority except from God and He gives that authority from time to time even to bad men. Luther says, even though rulers are wicked and unbelieving, yet is their governmental power good in itself and of God. So our Lord said to Pilate, to whom He submitted Himself as a pattern for us all, you could have no power over me except it was given to you from above. You know, that's the words Jesus gives to Pontius Pilate there in John 19. When Pilate says, don't you understand who I am? I have control over you. I have the power of life and death in my hands. And Jesus says, you'd have no power except it was given from above. So Jesus submits to Pilate and yields his body on the cross for the forgiveness of sins, your sins, and my sins, and the sins of the world. And it's precisely because of this truth that God is sovereign that we are to be subject, we are to submit to the governing authorities that are over us, whether it's the federal government or the state government or local governments like the city of Rock Hill or York County. 
We could also uh, take that out another level and say we are to submit to anyone that God has put in authority over us, including the elders of this church. That's why when someone just reaffirmed their faith this morning, the very last question they were asked begins this way. Do you submit yourself in the spirit of love to the government and discipline of this church? Notice how it's the very same language that Paul uses here in Romans 13. Do you submit yourself? Because all authority comes from God. And this is the first reason that Paul gives us for submitting to those over us because they have been instituted by God. They don't have power in and of themselves. It's been given unto them by God Almighty. And therefore, when we go against them, we go against God. This is why Jesus submitted to Pilate, as evil a man as he was. Because he knew what God's will was. And God's will was to have him sacrificed on the cross. But that's not the only reason in this text that Paul gives us for submitting to the governing authorities. Notice what he says in verse 2. Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Not only are we to yield because God is sovereign, that's the first and most important reason, but the second is the penalties involved if we don't. Think speeding tickets parking tickets, penalties, and, and money you have to pay when you don't pay enough taxes or don't pay any taxes at all. Think jail time. You know, you do the crime, you pay the time. Even capital punishment, even death, as indicated by the word sword in this passage. And while we don't have time to really get into this, yes, this is a passage that people use from time to time who favor capital punishment in the state because God endows the state or the governing authority with the sword. You know, Paul could have used lots of different words here. He could have used jail. He could have used monetary retribution. He chooses to use the word sword. And we have to remember that sword is not a defensive weapon. Sword is an offensive weapon. A sword has one purpose only, and that's to smite. John Calvin says we contend with God when we think it's unlawful for the governing authority to shed the blood of evil and wicked people. Notice what Paul says here. He says, the ruler over us does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And this verse gives us an indication of why the Apostle Paul all of a sudden jumps into this topic in the first place that is so unlike everything else he's been writing about. I mean, if you think back to chapter 12, Paul has been talking about how we respond to the gift of God's grace in Jesus Christ as His servants, how we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And we begin to do that within the context of the church, of His body. 
the body of Jesus Christ. And as we seek to live as members of one another as the church, you remember we talked about in last Sunday's sermon, we can't do that without love. And that's why Paul begins to talk about that genuine love in the latter half of of Romans 12. How we are to even love our enemies, he says. And then all of a sudden he writes, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. I mean, if you're like most readers, you say, where did that come from? I mean, what an abrupt change of topics. That's like going from HGTV to ESPN, all in one fell swoop. But it's not as abrupt as we think. It comes from his teaching on love in chapter 12, especially beginning with verse 19, where he says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it, to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Yes, there will be a final judgment. We know that. That's taught by Jesus and others. The whole scripture teaches there will be a final judgment one day where the evil uh, get their comeuppance, so to speak, for the lives that they've led. But Paul's point here is that God has ordained government as the institution to begin to carry out His judgment even in this world while we live in it. His wrath begins to be poured out by the state. In other words, as governing authorities bring the rule of law to bear, it preserves the world from chaos. Now, we normally think of the Roman Empire as being a very brutal empire, but if you read people who lived in the early days of the Roman Empire, they talk about how great it is to have order in the world. That's what the Roman Empire brought. It brought order to the world. There wasn't all of this chaos with people just getting killed and and murdered and rampaged all of the time. I mean, we think about Mexico today and how that is a country that is in, in chaos. That's how the whole world was. You know, Mexico is a lovely land. Their people are lovely. I've been there. I know. But I wouldn't go there for love nor money today because that nation is in chaos. And that's how the whole world was until God brought governing authorities into place. And this means that as God establishes these governments, that even pagan rulers are doing His will, even if they don't realize it. This is why it's our duty to help this order to rule in the world and not hinder it even if there are pagans out there who are evil and in control of various governments, and we can think of many in this day and time, God directs all things in such a way that the good they possess and which they choose to use in the wrong way, and the good is that governmental power, this good must still serve God and His purpose ultimately. This is why the prophet Jeremiah would call the king of Babylon God's servant. And this is why Christian people like you and me are to be good citizens of whatever nation or state it is to which we belong. 
Well, by now you've probably had in the back of your mind the nagging question, but what about rebellion? I mean, what about our forefathers and foremothers who did not submit to King George III? Or a better question is, what about those apostles of the church that we can read about in Acts 5 who who did not submit to the religious authorities God had placed over them when they said we must obey God rather than men. Which is right. Seems as if Scripture teaches two divergent paths there. Well, we have to remember that Paul is writing a letter to a specific group of people, not all Christians everywhere, a specific group of people, and those people are in Rome. And this is the same Rome we can read about in Acts 18 where we're told that Paul left Athens and went to Corinth where he found a Jew named Aquila lately come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, Roman emperor, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. Now, we think that expulsion of the Jews happened somewhere around A.D. 49, probably because of the sometimes heated arguments that would take place between Jews and Christians in the synagogues, the same kinds of arguments that we can read about over and over again in the book of Acts as Paul and his missionary band traveled to these cities and towns, and they would always go to the synagogue first, and sometimes they received a warm welcome. Sometimes the people in the synagogue wanted to hear more the next Sabbath. But oftentimes there was a lack of welcome. And by that I mean that's a great understatement. There was, you know, stoning and running them out of town and all that sort of thing and saying, going to the Roman authorities and claiming that these Christians are talking about a new king, Jesus, and all this sort of thing, trying to get them in trouble with the Roman authorities. And so it's likely that Paul writes not a balanced view here, but teaches a more one-sided view on the state because of what is going on in Rome. Because many Christians in the Roman church saw Roman governmental authority as something to be ignored. And so Paul is making sure that they understand what is the general principle that we follow. Now, a careful reading of this text will hear an emphasis on right and wrong. And you need to stay with me here because this isn't the easiest uh, territory to navigate. A careful reading of this text will hear an emphasis on right and wrong or what we might call the moral law. It's a little clearer in the NIV, if you have an NIV, where verse 3 reads, rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. We can also see this about right and wrong in verse 5, where Paul says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. He brings that word conscience in there. And that refers to our consciousness of God and what His will is 
for our lives. In other words, that there's a right and a wrong involved. If we're going to do right, we're going to follow God's will. If we're going to do wrong, we're not going to follow God's will. Now, do you see where I'm going with this? In Acts 5, the apostles know what God's will is. God's will is to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and the good news of the gospel. And fulfilling that will meant that they must not submit to the religious authorities above them who were telling them and imploring them and throwing them in prison and saying, do not preach this name, Jesus Christ. This means that beneath and above the civil authority is a greater reality, namely the moral law of God expressed in the words right and wrong. John Piper has helped me understand this. He says that authority itself is in the service of the moral law expressed in the words good and bad. Might does not make right in this text. Might enforces right, or it's supposed to. So it's clear from this text that doing right is not necessarily defined by submission to the governing authorities. Doing right is in another category. And this is why we can see rebellion against governing authorities in Scripture and why there can be such a thing as a just rebellion if you want to put it in those terms. In speaking specifically to the Romans, Paul gives and emphasizes the general principle that all of us are supposed to follow, typically speaking, and that is that we submit to the governing authorities because God has instituted those governing authorities. But when that government or when those authorities would have us live opposite to God's will for us, then we rebel. And it's not always an outward rebellion that everyone can see. Sometimes it's an inward rebellion, a private rebellion, if you will, just to make sure that God's will is followed and accomplished. And let me give you one scriptural example of that. If you turn to the book of Daniel, the sixth chapter, You'll read there where the king in authority had signed a decree stating whoever makes petition to God or any man for the next 30 days except to to me, the king, shall be thrown into the den of lions. Now those of you who are blessed to grow up in a Christian family, you remember those uh, lions den stories in Sunday school. And what did Daniel do? Well, he knew that he was still going to pray to the Almighty and living God. He wasn't going to pray to the king. And so he continued to pray right there in the privacy of his home. I think it was either three or five times a day he knelt and prayed to God. And, of course, there was some political intrigue going on and people wanting to put Daniel out of power. And so they watched and found that he was still praying to God Almighty and they tattled on the king about him. And even though the king didn't want to throw him into the den of lions, he had to because the laws of the Medes and Persians stand fast and once it's been ruled, that's the way it is. And Daniel was found out, thrown into the den of lions where God proceeded to protect him. And once Daniel was brought out of that den again, this pagan king, Darius the Mede, what does he do? He praises the living God because of what he's just experienced. 
and how he's seen God being in control and, and, and where he used to think he was in control, now he knows that Daniel's God is the one who's truly sovereign. So you see, Daniel did not submit to his governing authorities with good reason because of God's moral law. You shall have no other gods before me. Daniel knew that. And he would accomplish God's will. Now finally, in this text, Paul gives us a practical example of what he's been discussing following Jesus' words and example about rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Paul also makes the same point here in verse 6 about paying taxes. Taxes help to provide for this order in the world in so many different ways. And therefore, we pay taxes to whom taxes are due. This is in actuality a form of devotion to God ultimately. And see, that's how I want you to think about it. Think about it in those theological terms. It's much easier to write that check to the federal government when you are knowing in your mind and in your heart that this is actually a form of devotion to God. You are saying, yes, God, you are sovereign because you've placed this government over me. And notice that Paul asks for more than just a grudging outward recognition of the authority of the state through the taxes that we pay. He also adds we're to give to those over us respect and honor. Respect to whom respect is due, honor to whom honor is due. The same kind of respect David gave to King Saul, even as Saul was trying to have David killed. David, you know, refused to lift his hand against Saul. No no matter how many times he had the opportunity to kill Saul while Saul was chasing him all over the desert. And do you remember why? David would every time say to his men, Saul is the Lord's anointed. He knew that God had placed him in control and that was God's purview to to tear that kingdom of Saul down. And David never would lay a hand on Saul for that purpose because David knew the truth that Paul's talking about here. God builds up and God tears down. No authority is instituted except for God. And though Paul doesn't make it clear here when he says in our first verse there is no authority except from God, he also means Jesus there, obviously. Remember what Jesus says at the beginning of the Great Commission that we find in Matthew 28. Uh, The beginning of that commission is not go make disciples of all nations. The beginning of that commission is when Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. One would think that would include every single government on earth, even this new little prince he allowed to be born in the United Kingdom this week. All are under the authority of Jesus Christ. It's like Revelation 17 says and teaches us, He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Indeed, all praise belongs to Him. And may God bless us to that end in the days to come as we seek to submit 
to the state for his honor and glory or we submit to God when the time is right. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.